Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and my guest today is the Athletics, John Hollinger, back again talking NBA draft. John's been writing a, a weekly column that includes a draft prospect he's been watching uh, every week, which has been really fun to read, as well as talking about a rookie that he's been watching. And he just did a draft column on a few under-the-radar prospects, so we got a lot to talk about uh, today, John. And I want to get us started by diving into the G League. Uh, you know, This is a unique experiment for the NBA. Uh, this is something that we haven't seen before. And, uh, you know, so far we've seen a couple of top prospects perform pretty well. And uh, I, I want to start before we get into the actual prospects from a scouting perspective. You've been watching these G League games. How do you rank this scouting experience as opposed to watching a college basketball game or watching film from, you know, we had we had like LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton in Australia last year. I mean, a lot of different scouting venues. How has it been for you uh, as an NBA scout, you know, watching these G League games and, and how helpful are those um, compared to other sorts of things that you could be watching? Uh, I think it's been quite helpful because I think there's less translation you feel like you have to do when you're watching them play in a pro system already. And the system with like the Ignite, it's it seems pretty organized and they have a pretty good team. So the guys are having to play real basketball. So I, I think that's been really good. The one thing maybe you would want to see is having a couple of high-level prospects on another team for them to play against so you could compare directly. That's the one thing you don't get to see. Whereas like if they're at USC and they're playing, you know, Arizona State and you can see them go head to head against Christopher and Bagley, you know? Um, and so and so at the same time, you get a better idea of how they translate as a pro, uh, but you might not get kind of sequentially like the idea of the ordering in the class, you might not get as quite a good idea. Cause there's definitely been times when I've like, when I've gone to scout somebody and seen them play head to head, somebody else who's good at their position, you kind of really get the impression like, Oh wow. Okay. Like there was a difference there. Yeah. Yeah. Like you'd like to see Jalen green versus Jalen Suggs. You'd like to see those guys go head to head. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, that's the thing you lose, but I think scouts are really pleased with the environment they get to see these guys play in. Uh, that they that they haven't that they are getting a pretty good idea of what these guys are and how they fit in a pro system. So I think on balance, I would probably take that as a scout over seeing them play two or three big college games and then the other the rest of the time I'm not I'm not maybe really getting as good as good an idea. Uh, so. Uh, I, I think it's been a good advertisement as a whole for the for the G League that these guys have been put in a, a good situation. They're playing pretty well. They haven't been overmatched. They haven't looked bad. You know, and that that was one of the things I think they had to be nervous about for the league in this first year of it is how is it going to look to the guys who are coming up? And now now I think they can make the case. They can go to Chet Holmgren and say, look, like we we provided a showcase for these guys. They're both going to get picked in the top five. They got paid for it. They got pro experience. They got to be around solid veterans, uh, you know, who had been in the league and give them some advice. So I, I think that's a real win. You think we, now that 
I, I think it absolutely hasn't hurt Jalen Green and Kaminga. I, absolutely, I think they're either right where they were before, or if not, maybe they've even helped themselves a little bit, especially Kaminga, I think. Do you think that this means that we're going to start to see a flood of high school players now choose the G League route um, now that they've had these pioneers tested out? It hasn't hurt their draft stock. They do get paid. Uh, you know, that that's that's a significant, significant thing for them. They're getting NBA level coaching uh, and training and preparation uh, every day. And I'm, I'm not knocking college basketball coaching or training, but it's a, it is a different system. It is a different uh, translation that sort of has to happen. Do you think that this is going to be a preferred route now for top prospects? Like next year, are we going to see like most of the top 10 high school guys go to the G League as opposed to college basketball? I mean, I think that's a really interesting question is over the next five years, do we see this trickle turn into a flood? Uh, I, I just don't know if I'm equipped to answer it yet. I mean, some of these guys do want to go to, you know, to big state you and play in front of 20,000 people and you don't get that in the G League. So uh, th- there is going to be some personal preference there, I think. Uh, but I'm, I'm really interested to see how this how this plays out, though. And it should be pointed out that, I mean, Part of the reason they did this is because other pro leagues were realizing they could do the same things. Australia was picking off a couple players each year. Uh, I think the European leagues are probably more reluctant. It's such a veteran league over there. But, uh, you know, I could have easily seen like, you know, maybe China doing this, starting to do the same thing. So uh, I, I think it was a good uh, move by the NBA to kind of protect their flank, too. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the prospects. And there's two guys that are, are in my my opinion, I think most NBA scouts' opinions, clearly top five prospects in this draft. Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Green. Kaminga starts out hot uh, and, and really wows people in the first couple of games. And I think part of that was also because there was a, less, a, a much smaller body of work that NBA scouts had seen from him. Green has been coming on uh, of late. So I'm going to put you on the spot right in the beginning before we start scouting him. Right now, if you're an NBA GM, the draft is today. Who goes higher, Green or Kaminga? I think probably Kaminga, um, just because that skill set with that size is in such demand. Everyone in the league wants to flood the court with six, seven, six, eight guys, switch everything, have shooting around the perimeter, so that even if he's not, even if he doesn't turn out to be an on the ball superstar, he'll be something in the league, right? He'll be. Um, you know, most of the time he's going to end up being a starter at least. So I, I would probably go that direction. Uh, but I'm, I still want to dig down a little more on these guys and their, their seasons. And, uh, it's, it's close. It's, it's, you know, every time I watch the ignite play, I think I walk away with a different opinion on that question. (laughs) So it's close. Kaminga is is interesting. He's one of the youngest prospects in this draft. Uh, that that's that's also intriguing. He's he's essentially yeah. a year behind. You know, I like those birth certificates, Chad. <laughs> yeah, I know you do, uh, and and you like the size, you like the length. There was also a question about his jump shot that hasn't really played out in his favor so far. Yeah, and but that's generally the thing. That's you know you always look in terms of scouting what's fixable and what isn't. And the shot is always something that's potentially fixable. It's not always fixable, but it's at least potentially fixable. And there are some things that are unchangeable. Uh, and, and so those, those are the things you have to make sure you have, you have nailed down. 
Kaminga compared to Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs. Uh, you said you'd probably take him over Green. Who else do you take him over in that group? Yeah, it's so tough. It's it's a funny year, Chad, because I think you've experienced this too. Like it's a five player draft, and then like nobody knows what the hell to do at six. <laughs> but within within that top five, there's a lot of different answers for how they slot one through five, right? And um, I I think Cade Cunningham is kind of the the default number one pick, and I think he's probably he's probably done enough to stay there, but he hasn't like cemented himself as that guy either, right? Um, there's definitely still some question marks there. I still want to see what Oklahoma state does the rest of the way, go back and watch a couple more of their games. I really, I've really liked Mobley every time I've watched him. I like, there's some like Chris Bosch slash Pau Gasol to his game. Um, you know, the, the with rim the, protection, which those guys yeah. typically didn't provide, which is a, yeah. a sort of an added bonus. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think he'll be able to space out to the perimeter pretty well, pretty decent skills on the ball. Um, he's, he's going to get pushed around underneath, but the league is trending away from that anyway. Uh, so I, I think he's a really exciting prospect. Is he the number one guy? Um, you know, you hesitate a little to say that because the bigs have been devalued so much that that like a big should be the number one overall pick. Whereas like an on ball six, seven, six, eight guy like Cunningham, like that's the thing everyone's looking for. And so he probably still has the advantage there, but I mean, you're splitting hairs between those guys and Suggs uh, and Kaminga, but I think it's probably Cunningham one, Mobley two, and then you get into Suggs, Kaminga green. I do think it's pretty close within that group. And then that tier is at a completely different plane than the, um, than the, the, than the next, once you get to six and below. What's odd though, is that, there isn't like the Zion or Anthony Davis guy in this draft either, right? It's almost like it starts with five tier two guys. And then, you know, and then we're like, hello, is anyone in tier three? Like, <laughs> can you hear yeah. me? Is this thing on? <laughs> you know? well, that's interesting because most most of the scouts I'm talking to are treating these guys as tier one guys. You're you're saying tier two. And maybe maybe it's just that maybe there's like a tier one A and a tier one B, um, right? With a, you know, a Zion being, I guess Anthony I'm Davis thinking- being a huge superstar. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about how we did it in uh, in Memphis, and we kind of reserved tier one for like when you know, like that guy, like almost a total can't miss. You know, like like there might not be that guy every year, but uh, you know that that kind of level. Well, let's talk about Jalen Green, uh, who ESPN had ranked as the top high school prospect in the country. Uh, you know, coming into this season, uh, he was ranked basically number two by every other service uh, that was out there right now. And uh, he's he's looked pretty good, and, and especially lately, I think that uh, he has started to come into his own. Uh, what do you think about Green as a as a prospect? I think really tantalizing offensive player because he's he's really fast and can jump and can shoot it well enough. Um, the playmaking isn't really there yet, but you can see how it might get there. Uh, defensively, he's not very good right now. Um, as his body fills out, he'll hopefully get better, and as he learns to you know, harness his quickness a little better. Although I think he's much better going north-south than east-west, which hurts him at the defensive end too. Um, but yeah, he's he's really interesting. He got off to a slow start those first couple games. And then since then, he's been playing really well. Um, so he definitely, 
he definitely has made a case to say maybe he should be drafted ahead of Kaminga. Uh, maybe he should go ahead of Jalen Suggs even. Uh, I think if he did a consensus on draft boards, he'd probably still be fifth right now. But I think he's, I think people are looking at him as a guy who could move up. What's interesting is of those five, he's probably the best athlete of the group. And usually athleticism uh, yeah, as a, as a tiebreaker as starts to rise. And we saw this with yeah. Anthony Edwards last year, right? Like there was yeah. a, a lot of holes in Anthony Edwards' game, but the athleticism was so tantalizing. Uh, it's easier sometimes to project stardom in ways that, you know, Cade Cunningham doesn't have that explosive uh, athleticism, for example. Jonathan Kaminga is a really good athlete. And I, I think Jalen Suggs is a really good athlete as well. Evan Mobley is a, a fine athlete for a seven footer. Uh, you know, he's not, you know, not jump out of the gym, but he's fine. But that, but that does seem to be, if Jalen Green's going to have a calling card, it's going to be that of those five, I think he's the, the, has the most pop as an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Almost reminds you of uh, a different green, Gerald Green sometimes, you know, with the, with the pop off the floor. Well, those aren't the only two guys uh, that are on this G League Ignite team that are going to dip their foot into the NBA draft. Dacian Nix is a guy who's a very polarizing prospect right now, uh, has an incredible feel for the game, clearly a floor general, uh, can see the floor, kind of reminds me um, a little bit of an Andre Miller uh, to a certain extent, but is heavy. Uh, and at the, he's got size, but he he clearly right now doesn't have athleticism. And I even think when he trims down, you've got to believe uh, that a team's going to get him, uh, uh, you know, on a, on a weight regimen and what have you, he's still not going to be the explosive guy in the gym. What do you think about him as a as an NBA draft prospect right now? So, uh, so our uh, my colleague Ethan Strauss has a saying: "Fat is potential in disguise." Yeah, which which I love to say for <laughs> for heavier players. You know, like yeah. it's like that's a fixable thing. We talk about what's fixable, what's not, and historically. It's it's been fixable for guys, and a lot of them turned have had their draft stock go down, and then turned out to have great careers. I mean, we we had that in Memphis with Marcus Gasol. Uh, cer- certainly, you know, you could say that about Nikola Jokic, for instance. Um, Kevin Love was super heavy in high school. Yes, Kevin Love's a perfect example, and definitely got dinged for that in that draft. Um, the the other thing with Knicks though is I don't think you can be like unathletic and a non shooter. So the shooting part has to come, has to come around because otherwise the passing piece of it is almost irrelevant. Like people are just going to under go under screens. He's not going to be able to generate any advantages, and it's like he's just not going to be able to do anything offensively at that point. So for for him to turn the corner, you really have to believe in the projectability of his shot. Uh, and and then I think if you believe in that, then you can buy into the IQ and passing being good enough to get him in the first round. And so is that where you see him right now? Like, I mean, where where would you put his draft range right now? 15 to 30. Yeah, that, that, that seems to be in line with what I'm hearing, though. I think there were some people that were a little more bullish on him before the season began. Talk to me about, okay, you know, fair enough, you know, guys can lose weight in the NBA. He's in the G League. Mm-hmm. This is his full-time job. He's not in college mm-hmm. right now, uh, you know, going yeah. to Kagers. Well, maybe not, none of them are going to Kagers right now, yeah. uh, given COVID-19. What's the excuse that he isn't already in great she- shape, given that he's in the G League and he's he's got a kind of a pro team around him? That's, uh, I think that's a question every team needs to ask. Uh, but I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it with guys in college, though. And when when they come to the league, it's a it's a little different. You can have your hands on them more. 
uh, when they when they get to, when they get to your team, uh, and usually the threat of professional extinction also can can be helpful there too. But that you know, it's a funny year scouting though because like guys like him and uh, you know we've I think we've talked about uh, the kid from Duke a little bit, uh, Jalen Johnson, like the stuff that you collect going on in person on a campus visit, especially if you know the coaching staff and whatnot, like that's just missing this year. And that makes it, I think a much more challenging uh, draft in some ways, especially on, on a certain segment of these players where you're coming in with a lot of questions that, that you need answered from people you trust. And it's going to be a lot harder to get those answers this year. What do you think about the jump shot? Is it, is it broken? I I don't feel like it's broken. Uh, so I think there's some hope there. I, again, this is where you love to sit. I want to sit down in a chair right next to the court and watch him take 30 jump shots before the game. Right. And, and you can't do that this year. And that that's what makes it harder. Like you can watch on video and if something's, if something's really broken, you can tell it on video. Right. But if something's only just a little bit broken or, or there's, there's something subtle going on, that's when you really want to be in that chair right next to the court to be able to see that, you know, Oh, his third finger is doing something weird. And, and it's just so hard to see that just off a, off a video game tape. Well, an agent will get, get him. Uh, and, uh, you know, whenever the agent gets him and the starts the workout, it's one of the you know two things they either put on 20 pounds of muscle. Uh, if the, if the thing was, or they, you know, they've lost 35 pounds. Uh, and yeah. as lean as ever. I mean, that, whether that actually happens or not, that will that will be the narrative as we get closer to the draft, and someone's going to write it. Uh, Nick's in the best shape of his life; has dropped thirty five pounds. Uh, you know, looks amazing. Um, and they'll cut a video of the one time he makes six shots in a row, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> send that out. And uh, and BJ Boston put on twenty pounds of muscle. Uh, that you know that that'll happen as well. Oh, those are definitely coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Isaiah Todd. Uh, you know, it has had some flashes of of being a prospect. I, I don't really see a lot of teams thinking about him as a first rounder, but, you know, potentially as a second round uh, prospect that probably spends another year or two extra in the G League. Is that is that where you're looking at him? Right I think now? he's I think he's been good enough to get himself in the second round. Yeah, that, that's that's where I would peg it. And and what does he need to do? Do you think? Obviously, strength is strength is an issue right now. What what else do you want to see from? Yeah, I mean, to be brutally honest, I haven't been watching him as much because I've been kind of focused on the other three guys. But um, yeah, I, I I think just just physically, you know, filling out and seeing if he can become more than just you know kind of a jump shooting big guy. Pop. There's there's just there there's a lot of guys. There's enough guys who can pick and pop now that it's it's not that special anymore. So what what else can you bring to the table besides that? All right, he's John Hollinger of The Athletic. We've just been talking about the G League guys. When we come back, we're going to talk about some other uh, players that have caught uh, John's eyes, as well as we're going to look at some Duke and Kentucky prospects. When we return, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, act, be better? There is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. Headspace is the daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need help falling asleep? 
Headspace has wind down sessions that members can swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I've been using Headspace for years personally. It helps me to focus, helps me to wind down uh, at the end of the day, and helps me keep a perspective, and that's what mindfulness is all about. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 60,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. You deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA. That's headspace.com slash locked on NBA for a free one month trial with access to Headspace full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal being offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash locked on NBA today. I want to talk about our new sponsor, rockauto.com. It's a family business. It's been serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. And if you think about chain stores and they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody. They're reliably low. They offer the lowest possible prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then you choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And we're back talking 2021 NBA draft. I'm with the Athletics' John Hollinger. We just talked about G League and John's uh, thinking right now about eight games uh, into uh, the G League uh, season. I want to talk about some other highly ranked prospects coming out of high school that have been polarizing, John, uh, early on. Uh, You know, usually it's a rough guide. How guys are ranked in high school is going to look somewhat like how they're going to be ranked in those early big boards. Uh, and and there's been a few players that have have really lived up to the to, to the billing, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, what have you. Jalen Johnson, out of Duke, highly ranked prospect, very polarizing prospect, also decides I'm done uh, before the season ends with with Duke clawing for a, a tournament bid, creating a lot of controversy there. Uh, so I'm curious about two things. What do you think about him as a prospect? 
um, because he's clearly coming into the draft. This is one guy we know that's going to be in the draft. And then the second question I want to talk about is how do front offices look at situations like this? He decides, hey, I'm done with this. This is hurting my draft stock or I want to prepare for the draft, whatever. And I'm going to I'm going to leave this team. Uh, and, and so let's start with what you think about him as a prospect. Is is he still a lottery prospect in your mind? Uh, and then let's go to the next question. He's he's uh, he's possibly a lottery prospect uh, on talent. I think he I think his play this year did leave some questions, uh, certainly hugely productive. And the biggest negative just on his statistical line was a huge turnover rate which historically, if you're, if you have a high turnover rate, I mean, obviously that's bad, but if you're hugely productive, despite a high turnover rate, then that like historically, that hasn't been a big negative as far as somebody's eventual pro prospects. Um, The eye test on him is a little tricky because he's not a shooter and he doesn't really blow by people in the half court. Like he gets a lot of stuff in transition, but in, Five on five, it seemed like a lot more of a struggle for him. Playing him and Hurt together was hard for Duke because neither of them is a center and neither of them is really a wing either. Um, so so that definitely affected Duke. Uh, and then the other thing you need to get to the bottom of, though, is what was going on with this foot injury. How much, was it, how much of it was a factor in, A, how he played, and, B, what his eventual decision was to leave the program. Um this is another situation where, man, that would have been nice to have one of your scouts at Duke's practices a few times in, in December and January, right? Uh, so you kind of get the the behind-the-scenes unfiltered information. Now, everyone's going to call the Duke coaching staff, but you almost worry, like, you're calling them in a draft. Like, what what are they what are they going to say? Like, <laughs> because they're typically uh, you, not going to throw their guy under the bus. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, that that I, I mean, you tell me how candid uh, college coaches are typically about their players, because I think they see it. Part of their success is getting their guys drafted as high. Uh, you know, Yeah, because then they can sell it in recruiting. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's only I mean, you can get the real deal sometimes if you like, especially if you if a coach changes jobs. And, you know, and then you're able to talk to him at the next school, but with one and dones, it doesn't happen. By the time the coach has moved on, the player has already gone through a draft cycle. So you, you know, you, you missed your chance to do that. So it can, it can be really hard. And there's, there, there are some tricks of the trade. I mean, you, you know, you try to, if you have contacts and access points that aren't uh, like the head coach, but maybe further down the, uh, the food chain and, and we'll give you a little more unfiltered picture um, if you have people who've been around the guy in the past, uh, that you can talk to, that's really helpful. So th- there are still ways to get that background and get the real scoop on what happened, but it's harder. And I think not, not, not being able to be in those practices can, can hurt too. Just, I mean, you, you just get a, you get a feel for just how the guy is around the rest of the team that, that is tough to replicate. Yeah. And in and, and this draft, where I think you and I agree, there's a massive drop-off after those five guys anyway, um, and that maybe this draft doesn't quite have the depth. That the, you know, 2020 draft got a bad rep because there wasn't those tier one, you know, sort of obvious guys at the top. Uh, but 
there there seems, you know, looking at this rookie class, it seems like, you know, there's going to be some guys that are going to be in the league for a long time uh, that even that even dipped into the second round. The, the, this draft's a little bit a little bit more tricky um, on that end. Uh, one of the big disappointments has been uh, BJ Boston, uh, who came in with a ton of hype. Kentucky, Kentucky's just been a massive disappointment this year. Uh, but you can also, you know, factor in, hey, in a pandemic with a with a heavily one and done type team, you know, like Kentucky has, that you know the potential, you know, for this to go wrong in that sort of setting, um, is high. And it also could just be that guys were overrated, but. And so BJ Boston's dropped down the board. Um, Isaiah Jackson, you know, borderline first round prospect, I think for most people. Um, every year for the last couple of years, we've been sort of down on the Kentucky prospects. And then they come into the NBA and we're like, oh, that was a mistake, Tyler Hero. Uh, Emmanuel quickly is a guy who I'll, I'll be honest, I, I did not see even as a first round. I did not think he was going to be drafted in the first round. Um, yeah, who is, who's made an argument that he's one of the, you know, top two or three rookies, um, you know, in the league, um, Tyrese Maxey, where he was a little bit more all over the board, but ends up going in the twenties probably is already, um, over overplayed that. Is there something we're missing, right? Is there a certain point where maybe a system is, is difficult to scout or project, uh, at, on a team like in Kentucky that, that maybe we need to correct for? I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is that these guys, and I'll throw Devin Booker in there too, weren't given opportunities to play on the ball. And then they came to the NBA and you went, oh, he can play on the ball, right? Like that was the big difference with Booker. It was the big difference with Quickly. Uh, big difference with, with Hero, who I think a lot of people looked at as mainly a movement shooter. Um, it was, you know, And then the second half of last year, it's like, oh, you can play point guard? <laughs> Wait a minute. Um and a little bit with Maxi played a little more on the ball last year, but he wasn't, I mean, they gave the keys to the offense to Ashton Hagens, which in retrospect looks like, like what the hell were they doing? Right. Um, so, so the thing you have to ask yourself about Boston, I guess, is, is there more to him as an on the ball player than we, than, than Kentucky is showing us. And I, I guess I, I'm not totally sure. Like he was never thought of as like a, a big time guard, right? He's more of like a wing slasher. Now, the other thing you could say is there's just so little shooting on that team that for any kind of slasher player, it's just hard because there's just no space. There's no openings, right? So I think that that does make his life harder. Um, and Kentucky's played better of late. I mean, they had a really nice win uh, last weekend. Was it was it Tennessee they played? Uh, do I have that right? Um and uh, and re- really smacked him down. Uh, so things are definitely getting better there. I think I think a strong close to the season would certainly really help improve his stock. And because people can argue then that they can go back to their priors, I think on, on him. So I, I he's a guy I could still see a lot of movement on. How much how much space do you give as an NBA scout to? Okay, this was a highly ranked player out of high school. He stumbles as a college player. I, you know, some things about Boston, I think, are clear. He lacks he lacks physical strength. Uh, he lacks the ability to f- you know finish through contact. Um, you know, there's there's some things that you think maybe with more strength and more maturity are not going to be the problems that they are right now for him. But then then they don't show well. I mean, he shot the ball pretty pretty terribly at Kentucky. Uh, he he has not looked in any way uh, like a lottery prospect. I think uh, for the most part there. What do you believe more? 
right? The, the, the high school track record coming in or a freshman season, especially factoring in COVID and everything else that's sort of going on. And as you said, a team that maybe isn't very well suited uh, to his style of play, which is, which is shrinking that space for someone like BJ Boston. Yeah. So I would normally trust the freshman season more. However, this year, you have to acknowledge that, that this year is not a perfect apples to apples comparison to other years and especially the beginning of the year. And so I, I think you, you have to be aware of that too. And so maybe that uh, RSCI ranking or whatever that the guy carried into the season, maybe that has a little more predictive weight this year than it does in, in other years, uh, just because the season was not as true a facsimile of the, of the regular college season that you would get. And when you get to your analytics, you've over the last few years started to incorporate, right, um, high school tournament, high, uh, high, high school statistics into that because you found it somewhat predictive. It yeah, it does have some predictive capability. So I think teams will be doing that, going back through his his AAU stats, trying to see what was in there, um, and yeah, I mean you're you're just looking for clues in the data anywhere you can find them. Isaiah Jackson uh, has been a monster as a shot blocker. Uh, for Kentucky, didn't really do a lot on the offensive end for the first half of the season, but more and more has become confident um, in his offense. In that t- Tennessee game, he had he had you know several you know really sort of eye opening plays where he's becoming more confident on the offensive end. Where does a guy like that? He's skinny, but he's athletic. He's a great shot blocker. Plays with a lot of energy. Still pretty raw um, offensively, but is starting to show you know some game there. Where do you put someone like him? You know, can he get into the back end of the first round? I mean, I, as as a five, this deck is always stacked against you in the draft, I feel like. Um, and then, uh, you know, he's a, he's a little bit on the light side. He's not a skill guy. So there, there are just a lot of guys like him around. So I, th- I think it's going to be hard for him to, to push, to push into the top 20 can get into the back end of the first round where we saw several centers taken this year. Maybe that's more realistic, especially if he finishes the year. Well, I mean, teams have definitely teams were really scouting him at the beginning of the year. Right. And they they were looking at him and Terrence Clark, who we've like completely forgotten about now. Um, And, and as the year went on, it was like, Hey, this Jackson guy, like, Hey, (laughs) like (laughs) we got to look a little harder at him. Well, he was the he was the guy that was bringing energy on onto a, a a team that just looked lost a lot of times and frankly sometimes yeah. lethargic uh, for a Kentucky yeah. team and so I think he popped um, because of that and 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 he's grown he he's an interesting prospect to me uh, I I've heard more and more teams now talking about him as you know uh, in the twenties uh, as a prospect and again I think it's partly what else is out there um, as well. All right, when we return in our third section, we're going to talk about some under-the-radar guys uh, that, that John Hollinger uh, has identified. This is one thing I love about John uh, is he does the work. He goes and scouts the guys that nobody else really wants to scout and uh, has, has found some guys uh, that I think are really intriguing. Uh, well, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better than the old ones. There are in 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, 
cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. That's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love, the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread. One of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for for someone like me who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot about what he puts into his system, I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein, uh, in fact, which is which is pretty awesome. And so go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. All right, we're back with John Hollinger. We've talked about the G League guys. We've talked about Kentucky guys. We've talked about Duke guys. But John Hollinger will go watch Utah State guys. He'll go watch Boise State guys. He will watch a lot of different prospects that just frankly, he's called them bad geography guys in the past or whatever, that, that and I'll admit it, even myself, just aren't as focused on. Uh, and, you know, one of those guys last year, his big guy was Paul Reed. You, are you ready yeah. to take the victory lap right now? I mean, yeah, this, this was the moment I'm crushing, setting you up. Crushing it in the G League, crushing it. 58th pick in the draft, been the best player in the G League uh, in the bubble down there. So I'm hopeful he can get more opportunities with the Sixers, uh, which is going to be a little hard. But, yeah, I was on him all year. I had him rated as a late lottery pick, and I was I was a little surprised he went as late as he did. And uh, – so I'm, I'm, I'm at least, you know, even, even if I take the L at everything else, I'll always have Paul Reed. You'll always have Paul Reed. So, so Anybody else important. you may have drafted in the second round at Memphis that, that, you know, sort of comes to mind here. There was a guy from Oregon. Um, uh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, what was his name? Dylan Brooks. <laughs> Dylan Brooks. There you have it. It's uh, time not, to take that shot. The Dylan complete. Brooks reference is in. Uh, Dylan Brooks probably not Dylan under Brooks the radar right. uh, as was, much nah, as I mean. They went to the Final Four that year. I it, that one was just kind of kind of weird. Like people just couldn't. I don't know. People people weren't excited about him, even though he was good. So I was like, okay, we'll take him. Well, uh, you want to start there? What well, I, I know we just set it up this way, but we're talking about Oregon guys. There's an Oregon guy you like this year, yeah, uh, as yeah. well, a senior. Uh, which normally in John Hollinger's world is is a no no. Twenty four years, twenty four year old senior as well. Old, old, <laughs> old senior. Old, which old senior is a big, big no no for me usually. But yeah, I think I think Chris Duarte uh, has been uh, depending on what you think about Mobley as a as an actual college player right now has either been the best or second best player in the Pac twelve this year. Uh, really multi talented. Uh, wing player, uh, really good, uh, you know, has the type of secondary stats that, t- that generally tend to 
portend NBA success. If you look at a high steal rate, high assist rate, uh, shoots well from threes, 40 plus, uh, you watch, watch him last night, actually against Stanford, uh, really dragged the team across the finish line in a night where a lot of their guys didn't have it, uh, athletic enough to, uh, had a big time dunk in the half on a half court possession too, which always stands out to me, uh, in, in the course of that game. So, yeah, I, I think he's a really legit prospect. His age is a giant red flag in terms of upside, right? So I, I don't think for that reason he probably gets – he doesn't get into the top 20 for me, but he's in that next group where he's going to come in and be able to play a role in the NBA right away at a position where everyone needs guys at the two and three, uh, and he, he can shoot it, he can play defense, he'll pass the ball. Uh, so I – I think he's a really good fit in that slot. And I think he's been a little undervalued. You led your column with a big guy uh, from Portugal who plays at Utah state. Yes. Uh, and, and, and this was, this was your lead. And this is where I think it's really fun. Um, right. Uh, not a lot of people watching Utah state uh, right now. Uh, you, you, you gave us almost a thousand words on him. Uh, you know, tell us about, uh, is it Nemius Keita? Is that right? Yes. Did yeah. I get that right? Yeah. 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 It's well, I mean, that's, that's how the announcers say it. So that's what I'm going with <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the seven, seven footer from Utah state. Uh, I think he's really interesting. You know, he had, he had buzz as a late first rounder two years ago, put his name in, didn't do well in the combine, pulled his name out. And then last year, kind of everyone forgot about him. I feel like he, um, he had an injury. He, it's not that he played badly, but his numbers weren't any better than the year before. So I, I think people just kind of checked out on him a little bit uh, and we're looking for the next big thing. And then this year, I didn't, I didn't really see a lot of buzz for him coming into the year, but he's been awesome. Like he's been clearly the best player in the mountain West conference and uh, uh, a high rate high rate of blocks, like really good shot blocker around the rim, obviously, but pretty effective post player one-on-one too, like has, can jump hook with either hand, uh, has, you know, can, can spin, can get to some stuff. Like he's, he's, he's not a zero at the offensive end, the way a lot of these kind of projecty seven footers are. And then he's gotten to be much better passing out of the post just because he gets double teamed so much in that league. Uh, so he has a really high assist rate. Uh, and you, like, you could just see the feel for the game, growing because again you know he comes here you know portugal doesn't have a huge basketball culture obviously you know it's cristiano ronaldo over there right so coming in from that uh i think he's still developing uh and the thing that works against him obviously he's a center and kind of a traditional center so you know how high do you want to go for that but like i haven't seen this guy get mentioned at all and to me he's clearly at least in the top 40 yeah, that, that was the surprise to see John Hollinger lead his column with a, a seven-footer junior traditional center um, when, when you've been leading the charge kind of away from those guys. But in, in this particular case, there, there's some role. You're not, you're not advocating for him being drafted as a lottery pick. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and there's, a, there's a point in the draft where the value proposition makes sense on a guy like this. And so, I, like... I think he, I think he has to be when, when you're putting together a draft board, he has to be top 40 and probably top 30 and may even have a case to get in the late teens. The one big standout from your column 
that that caught my eye because I've watched this team a lot and and I really like Baylor's Davian Mitchell and and Jared Butler. I, I have them both in in the twenties right now. Um, so to hear John Hollinger say, I think the best prospect potentially on Baylor is Matthew Mayer, uh, a six nine forward who plays roughly you know fourteen fifteen minutes a night uh, for Baylor. Uh, that that was a while, that was a while for me. Uh, you know, I, I've obviously seen him play. What what makes you think that he's the better NBA prospect than the two guys that are getting so much buzz right now for I, the undefeated Baylor? He's, he's big. He can handle the ball. He can defend multiple positions. Uh, I just think he does a lot of stuff that fits right in with an NBA off. You could use him like almost the way that you use like a Danilo Gallinari, um, and offensively i just think there's a lot of a lot of ability there it's a it's a wild ride right now with him i'm not, i'm not going to lie like he he will take some crazy shots he will make some weird decisions but the overall productivity of what he does is massive once you prorate it for the minutes he's playing like he'll come in and you know he'll only play 15 minutes so maybe he only has like 8 points 3 assists and a steal or whatever but when when you add those up over the course of the year you're like wait a minute like this guy's killing it and uh so i to me, he's he's a guy that he probably comes out next year, I would think, right? If Like if you're him, you wait for Mitchell and Butler to go pro this year. Next year, you're the man. You put up big numbers, and then you go in the first round. But I think he's a guy that NBA teams have to have their eyes on. Uh, and to, to me, as, as like serious first-round potential. Well, that was the plan, John, until you just blew it. <laughs> and listed him in your column now, and now he's gonna he's gonna leave, and and you're gonna screw Scott, Scott Drew and and Baylor. Uh, is it is this a knock at all on Mitchell and Butler? Do you do you not have them rated as as good at NBA prospects as as maybe someone like me who has them kind of in the twenties right now? I have them in roughly the twenty range. Yeah, I don't. I typically don't keep a ranking of guys during the course of the year as much as I try to think about, are you going to be in my top 20 or not? Because every year there's about 20 players who make it as, as like a long-term rotation player in the league. So I try to think to myself, who are the 20? And, and then I work from there. And Mitchell and Butler, not quite there. They're, they're pr- provisionally there. Provisionally there. <laughs> they, they, yeah, yeah. But, but if I'm, Mayor I'm, were to come I'm out, most, most he would the, be I'm there. Most of, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be pretty excited about him right now. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. This is this this is also what John Hollinger does. He's going to blow up somebody's yeah. draft stock tomorrow. You'll see. You'll start seeing him <laughs> popping up on draft boards everywhere. Uh, let's do one one other guy. This guy's not an under the radar guy, but you, you he seems to be one of the highest risers in the draft right now, and that's Fr- Franz Wagner, uh, Mo Wagner's brother at Michigan. Michigan's one of the hottest teams in in college basketball right now. Uh, you wrote uh, about him several weeks ago. He seems to be a guy that has just started the season as a, you know, kind of a bubble first rounder. Now lots of people talking about him as a late lottery uh, prospect. Uh, what do you think about his projection to the NBA? Uh, I think it's pretty good. I think he's clearly a guy who can defend two, three, four. And when you have a guy like that, uh, you know, you know, you'd be able to get him on the court. So, so that's a big win. Uh, he can shoot it. His shot release is a little low, uh, which can, can be a little bit of a problem. I don't know if he's going to be a, be able to be a super high volume three point shooter be, because the release is low, but I do think he'll be accurate uh, and track record of improvement. Obviously uh, all these teams have already interviewed his brother and know he's a great guy. So like no concerns on, on 
that front as much. Um, and th then you watch him, like he could do some stuff with the ball. He's a good passer. Uh, and for his size, I think he'll be able to take, take advantage of more mismatches at the NBA level than, than at Michigan where, I mean, Michigan is basically four out and Hunter Dickinson on the block. Right. So uh, I, I don't think he gets as many advantages um, to, to go kind of one-on-one -on -one against smaller guys, but I think he can take advantage of that. He's pretty athletic. You see it when he get out and when they get out in transition, I think there's a lot to like there. So he's a top 20 guy for me, for sure. Yeah, he's been really interesting. And and one of these guys that maybe there's not one thing about him that like just hugely pops. And there is a question about maybe his shooting a bit. And and that that seems to me to be the swing skill that if if he's if he's gonna shoot, you know, 35% or or higher from three, uh, you know, he projects one way. If it's a little sub that, which I think it has been for his career at Michigan, then 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 maybe his value isn't quite uh, quite as high, but this is the certain types of things that you can start to project. If he improves that jump shot a little bit, what does that do to his game? Yeah. I, I you know, he's a perfect three and D three, four at that point. And like a three and D three, four who has some stuff to him in, in terms of doing some things with the ball a little bit. So I, I think he becomes really a high value proposition at that point. Yeah. Watch him. I, I think that as there's this scrum right now, starting at pick six, of, of where do you go, it seems like you're either with guys that have these huge ceilings, but none of the real production uh, yet, and, and, they're, and they're projects, and so you're really projecting, or you're going with guys like a Wagner, um, you know, for example, or Corey Kispert or whatever that are, that are just producing some really good numbers right now in, in college basketball and are safer picks but maybe not with the super, super high ceiling to some of those guys. And, and there's just a huge scrum right now. I, I feel like like six through 15, maybe it's even like six through 20 uh, is, is really, really tough. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And, and I wonder, I wonder if Franz is going to be one of the, the people that's going to end up winning here and, and floating to the top. When you look, especially at this season, a lot of these teams, uh, you know, are, are even at six, seven, eight, nine drafting this draft are, are thinking of themselves as playoff contenders um, right now. And, and whether they'll be thinking about who comes in and helps us uh, as opposed to, you know, the Greg Browns of the world that, that don't come in and help us right now, but obviously have ridiculous upside. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see. I'm, I'm calling my shot right now. I think this is going to be a wacky draft after the fifth pick. I think like somewhere between like eight and 12, a name will be called out where everyone just goes, what the hell? Right. Yeah, like you can see that lining up already. It, it just feels that way. And uh, it's been a wacky season. Um, it feels that way. John, we'll have you back. Uh, in, a, in a while, I'm sure you'll write something else interesting and, and, and we'll dive a little bit further as we get closer uh, to the NBA draft. Thanks so much for coming on, dropping all the wisdom, uh, dropping some unique names on this podcast that haven't been on there before. Uh, always appreciate it. Mahalo. All right. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha. 